Oh, it's good to be with you this evening. If you guys brought a Bible or you could find one right in front of you, unless you're in the front row, then it's below you. I encourage you to go to Luke chapter 2. It's in the New Testament. Go to the middle, then go to the right. It's before Revelation. That's all I got. Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to spend some time. We'll also have it up on the screens as we go through this message regarding what the reason for the season is. A television interviewer was walking the streets of Tokyo at Christmas time. And much in America, Christmas shopping is a big commercial success in Japan. The interviewer stopped one young woman on the sidewalk and asked, what is the meaning of Christmas? Laughing, she responded, I don't know. Is that the day that Jesus died? Unfortunately, there's some truth in that answer. And the Christmas season is a polarizing time for many. For some, it brings fond memories of family and friends and food. Amen. For others, it can, be a sor- it can be a time full of sorrow. It can be depressing because of years pass, things or people lost, or things never been. And I want us to spend some time in God's Word. I believe that the Bible is actually the very words of God, where God, the creator, the sustainer, the master of the universe, decided to put his will and his story down on paper through the use of flawed and broken people like us, all telling the story of our need for the gift in which he gave us. Just a quick disclaimer, we usually have children in children's church during the service, and we have kids in the service today. If they make noise, noise goes straight up, so I don't hear it. So if I do hear a child say something, I'm going to assume they're saying amen, okay? So we're good with that. So no matter where you are as far as how you feel about Christmas time, I want to make sure that from God's word, we fixate on the reason for the season, which is that God gave his creation a gift that was not earned, it was not worked for, but in God's infinite grace and love for us, he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. For centuries before, Jesus came to this earth as God with skin, and there were arguments and there were debates and misunderstandings of who and what the Messiah The Savior, the King of Kings, would actually be like and when the Messiah would come. And for many, he came, and many did not believe that it was the Messiah they were waiting for, the King that was promised, because he did not fit fit the image or the expectations that the people had for what the King would be like. So I'm going to start with this question as we read the Word of God in Luke chapter 2, but I have this question that I want to ask you personally, and you don't have to write down the answer. I just want you to reflect on this. Who is Jesus to you? Because the answer to that question not only determines your eternity, it determines your purpose. It determines your values and your joy in this life. So in Luke chapter 2, verse 8 is where we're going to start. Many of us have heard the Christmas story. Many of us are familiar with the Virgin Mary who was, uh, was with child, even though she hadn't been with her husband. And they, he, she was going to have this child with the Holy Spirit. And if you're in this context, if you think about this, Mary was very afraid because she was with child, but she wasn't married yet. And there was this this faux pas, if you will, there was this cultural understanding that that was not okay. Not only that, but her husband, who was about to marry her, had a pregnant wife, and that in the culture didn't seem to be okay, and yet this is how God decided to enter into our history. And so as this child was being brought up in Mary's stomach, 
eventually we get to verse 8 of Luke 2, and it says this, right before his birth, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. I think we're pretty familiar with the Christmas story. We've heard it, and some of us have heard it once a year for many years, and if we're honest, and we're all about being honest up in here, we're kind of desensitized to it. We've heard it over and over, and maybe, just maybe, we've missed the brilliance, the magnitude, and depth to the story in history. I think because Christmas has become so commercialized that, at least for me, I've often missed the implications of what the season represents. In fact, there's a story of two women who were having lunch in an elegant hotel. They were approached by a mutual friend who asked the occasion for the meal. One lady replied, we are celebrating the birth of my baby boy. But where is he? inquired the friend. Oh, said the mother, you didn't think we'd actually bring him with us, did you? What a picture of the way the world treats Jesus at Christmas. See, it's all about Jesus. He is the reason for the season. Verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. There's so many verses in the Bible where it's kind of like a duh or a no kidding. In fact, Jesus didn't eat or drink for 40 days. He was fasting. He was out in the desert. And then it says, and he was hungry. Duh. And this is another one of those where this angel shows up and the people were terrified. But it's interesting to me that he showed up or the angel showed up to shepherds. The shepherds were the first to hear of this great news that our Messiah, the Savior of the world, had come. A shepherd was a lowly job. It wasn't a profession that most aspired to. And if you have any Old Testament understanding, you're probably familiar that Abraham, Moses, and David were all shepherds at one point. And Jesus even called himself the good shepherd. But as a shepherd, you were a servant, and you laid down your life for the flock. Could you imagine for a moment being these shepherds? Tending to sheep, you're in this field, no one else is around you, and all of a sudden an angel, a supernatural being created by God, appears all of a sudden out of nowhere. You'd be terrified too. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. This statement is powerful. Do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. But what is the good news? What is it that Christians proclaim and believe that actually informs their lives? I have the opportunity to meet with a lot of people, primarily at Pete's because it's holier than Starbucks, and I will sit down with people and teach them the Word of God. But the question that I really care most about is what is the good news to you? The word that we use is the word gospel. And to be honest, if I polled many of you and asked you what you thought the gospel was, many of us would answer this differently. But the good news, or the gospel, according to what the Bible teaches, is that God intervened, God gave, and God redeems. Jesus came to the earth, and he left his rightful place in heaven next to the Father, and he brought the kingdom of God to us. We didn't and don't have to work our way to God. He scandalously and radically came to us. He set up his kingdom here on earth and lived the perfect sacrificial life that none of us could live. He died a substitute, 
He, he died as a substitute for us. He died the death that we should have died. And he physically rose from the dead on the third day. Hallelujah. More about that on Easter and every Sunday and every day. And he defeated death and he defeated the hold that sin had on mankind. But see, that's the good news that we don't have to be afraid because Christ did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. And that good news not only means that we don't have to be afraid, it brings joy to all the people. And that good news is far better, hear me, is far better, it is far stronger, it is far more real than any moral reform or just cleaning yourself up or trying to make yourself look better. I know, honestly, that I'm terrible. You're like, what? You're dressed in a suit. Yeah, people dressed in suits can be terrible too. And don't get used to this, okay? Just saying. But I'm terrible. I know that I'm not good enough to work my way to God. But here's the great news. I don't have to. He worked his way to me. He lived the life I couldn't. He did for me what I could not do for myself. And it is because God gave of himself that I can be made a righteous person, not holier than thou, but in right standing before God because he died for my and your sin. And by trusting and receiving the Son, your Christmas season is a far different experience, church, because it's not about a man in a red suit. Sorry to let you know that. It's not about time off from work, even though that's awesome. Can I get an amen? But it's about the one who did for you what you could not do for yourself. And knowing Jesus Christ is not about comfort. It's not about you at all. In fact, it's all about him. And God, who loves us infinitely more than you or I can ever understand, sent Jesus as the gift. We're quick to think through all the reasons that we don't need God. Many of us will probably say, I'm not religious. Or I will worry more about that when I'm older. But God sent his son into this world to reconcile us to him, to restore our right relationship with him. Not because he wanted us to be more religious or moral, but he wanted us to be redeemed and adopted into his family. And this news is for all the people. And if you're here, I just have to tell you, you will never be able to stand before God and say you didn't know. God sent an angel to proclaim to be the herald of the good news to these shepherds that the Lord had come to his creation. Every skin color, every ethnicity, every personality, every religion, everyone should get the opportunity to hear the good news about Jesus. That Jesus lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we deserved to die, physically rose. This is something that we constantly talk about. You know why? Because it's good news. And why wouldn't we be excited about good news, church? When this baby was born, he was born through a maid and the Holy Spirit. And this world now had the opportunity to have a right relationship with God like never before. Not through attempted moral modification, not by trying to do a bunch of good stuff, not through doing enough good to outweigh the bad, not from church attendance, not from Bible memorization, or even emotional and exhaustive prayer time where you say, Lord Jesus, a thousand times in your prayer. But he decided to give us this relationship through a baby. So thank you, baby Jesus. But thank you, baby Jesus, that you didn't stay a baby. That you grew in stature. You grew up to be a man and you were always God. And then you went to a cross for me and for you. 
and on the third day you rose. But not only is this message, not only is this message of the good news the important thing that we proclaim on Christmas Eve, we proclaim it on Christmas and New Year's and every day and especially on Easter, but it's not just the message, it's the person of Jesus who will bring great joy. See, joy is an emotion that produces great laughter and excitement. Have you ever laughed so much you started crying? You ever laughed so much that maybe you did something that was a little awkward, they were kind of afraid that you just did in front of other people? You know what I'm saying? You don't know what I'm saying. That's cool. But that's what joy's like. That's going to be your takeaway. Just so you know, you're going to remember that. And joy is this emotion that produces great laughter and excitement, and joy is the opposite of fear and anxiety. And i got to be honest, too many of us who have claimed Jesus have too much fear and anxiety because we don't trust Jesus with our lives. Most believe joy is achieved when comfort and happiness are acquired. But biblically, it's this weird thing. It's through our trials that we grow. Did you guys notice that? You notice how you start to get beat up and life starts to get hard and you have to go through these trials and the Lord actually uses that to grow you more into the likeness of his son in which all joy comes from. Verse 11. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The Jewish people were a very proud people. And they really expected the Messiah to be the one who would overthrow the power of the Roman government who had oppressed the Jewish people. They wanted a king who was even greater than David, who they considered the greatest king. They didn't really expect or believe that the king that was going to come, the Messiah that was going to come, the Lord who would come, would come from such undignified beginnings. But that is something we need to get used to because God's math, God's economy, always seems to be backwards from how we would do things. The first shall be last. What? What? Verse 12. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Verse 13. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Can you imagine the scene? You're out in the field shepherding these different animals. And first an angel comes and absolutely freaks you out. And then as you hear about the Messiah who has come, a great company or army of angels all appear at once praising God. We are like angels but not because we're good, not because we're glorious, but because angels were heralds. Angels were ones that would bring the message. And if you have said yes to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you are a herald, one who would proclaim the message of the good news to testify to God's glory and his power. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Verse 16, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. 
So first, we understand that Jesus is the reason for the season, but we also understand that God gave himself. That's the gift. As we come into this place and we worship, and for some of us, if we're honest, Christmas Eve seems to be the consistent time that we worship, and we're glad that you're here, but we want to encourage you to come back on New Year's Eve. We want to encourage you to come back in January. Because God gave himself by living the life that we couldn't and doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Verse 19, and Mary, but Mary, treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So not only is Jesus the reason for the season, but God gave himself and God's presence was his greatest present to his creation. Don't miss that. God's presence was his greatest present to his creation. And so we get to come into this place. We get to worship him corporately. We get to hear more and more about the Jesus who lived the life we couldn't and died the death we deserved to die. But here's the thing. He didn't ask you to simply acknowledge that he exists because the devil can do that. He wants you and I to actually submit to him. And say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to trust you. I want to give my life over to you. Those of you who don't know me, I grew up an atheist, and I was good at it. I was really good. I was prideful in my atheism. I messed with Christians. I made fun of them. I still make fun of them. But, but I, I just had a great time asking hard questions to Christians. Because you know what? A lot of the Christians didn't know the answers. Until someone challenged me with what Christianity is based on. And I said, well, I figure it's about making yourself look good, cleaning yourself up, and, and going to church every week. And they said, no, Christianity is built on an event. And that event was a dead man who started to walk three days after being put to death on a cross. And so what I did over the next nine months was I would go to a library. You guys rem remember those? Yeah. I'd go to a library, and I would study different religions. And here's the crazy thing about that. As I would study different religions, it was weird. Everyone had to do something with Jesus. In fact, our calendar is based on him. You guys ever think about that? Everyone has to do something with Jesus. Even other religions and cults have to do something with Jesus because not only did he exist, but he was, seemed to be supernatural in the things that he did. And so as I tried to disprove the resurrection, spoiler alert, turns out he rose. And that changed everything for me. And ever since I became a Christian when I was 20 years of age, and I'm nowhere near that age anymore, but ever since I became a Christian, I realized that if Jesus actually rose from the dead, I was going to be held accountable for my actions. And when I found out that the good news was not about me trying harder, it was not about me trying to be a better person, but it was about me submitting to the God who did for me what I could not do for myself, I was in. And that's my hope for us this evening. Not that you would just pray a prayer and you'd say, yes, Jesus, and then we'd see you again in 365 days. But that you would commit to Jesus and you would talk to someone, maybe like me or maybe someone else that you've met here this evening, and you would actually start to wrestle with who this Jesus is because who he is is the question we all have to wrestle with. Pastor Clifford Stewart of Louisville, Kentucky, <laughs> sent his parents a microwave, over one Christ, a microwave oven one Christmas. And here's how he actually remembers the experience. And some of you may have had a similar experience. 
they were excited that now they too could be part of the instant generation. <laughs> when dad unpacked the microwave and plugged it in, literally within seconds, the microwave transformed two smiles into two frowns. Even after reading the directions, they couldn't make it work. Two days later, my mother was playing bridge with a friend and confessed her inability to get that microwave oven even to boil water. To get this darn thing to work, she exclaimed, I really don't need better directions. I just needed my son to come along with the gift. When God gave the gift of salvation, he didn't send a booklet of complicated instructions for us to figure out. He sent his son. And my request, what I implore you to do, what I beg of you, is to look into this Jesus because it's not by accident that you're here tonight. It's not by accident that you've come into this place. It might have seemed like an accident. Oh, the sign, seven, okay, you know, whatever. But you're not here by accident. The Lord knows what he's doing. So who is this Jesus to you? Is he a great teacher that taught a lot of good things? Is he a good humanitarian? Was he a, just a well-known man from the first century to you? Or is he who he claimed to be, which is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the Savior and the Christ? I pray that this Christmas season for you would be one of blessing. And when I say blessing, I don't mean that you would get whatever you want lest you become a spoiled brat. All right? It's not what I'm talking about. My prayer for you is that you would have the blessing, and biblically what blessing means is God's presence that you would know that the blessing of God's presence is near, the blessing of God's presence can be felt, and that the blessing of God's presence would be acknowledged. If you're interested in knowing more about this Jesus who we worship, I'd encourage you to come back next Sunday morning or some Sunday morning in January. We'd encourage you to come and ask questions of this Jesus. Man, I would love to buy you a cup of coffee at Pete's, but I'm not going to Starbucks, just telling you that now but I would love to answer questions that you may have. There are many people here that are equipped to answer questions about Jesus, and we would encourage you to ask questions because there's no question too silly. But here's what we're going to do. I want to give us an opportunity to respond. I want to give us an opportunity to have this moment with the Lord. And you guys have candles, and my hope is that everybody has candles. Is that a true statement? Did everyone get them? Is someone like, oh, man, I wanted one. Does anyone need one? Man, we were on it. Thanks, Mother. Okay, we got one back there. Is that Odessa? Hey, you. Uh, Aaron, would you grab her one? Thank you. Yeah, a couple more. So grab a basket. I want you to have the candle for this example of what we're going to talk about. And now I realize I don't have my candle. Can I have mine? Thank you. You go to Matthew chapter 5. Is it up there? Thank you. Jesus is speaking in the parable on the mount, or the, the sermon on the mount. And he's talking about, if you need a candle, raise your hand. We got, we got Aaron. We good? Right here. Malik needs one. He totally forgot. Way to go, bud. In the, the sermon on the mount, it says this. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking, and he says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. 
And in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. One of the most beautiful things about light in a dark place is contrast. One of the most beautiful things that we start to understand is that Jesus called us the light of the world, those that have trusted Jesus with our lives. And so I'm going to invite the worship team to come up because we're going to get somewhat uh, dark in this place. And we don't want you tripping. But as we have this opportunity to sing songs that praise our Lord, songs that many of us have probably heard before, I want you to actually have a direct representation of what it looks like to be in a very dark place where just a single light and then multiple lights will start to light up this place in a way you would have never expected. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to fire. Sorry, that was Beavis and Butthead. We have this light, which when it's light in this room, it doesn't really show much. But Larry, as you would turn off those lights, I want you to see the difference. And so what we're going to do in this time before we sing this song is I'm just going to allow this light to go back and forth, and we're going to pass it down. And here's what you're going to do. If yours is not lit, you're going to put yours sideways, because otherwise you put this one sideways, you're dropping wax all over people. And even though I kind of like that and it's fun, I don't recommend it. But if yours is not lit, I'd encourage you to go this way and then get the light. But we're going to light up this room with this light as a representation as we sing these songs of praise to our God. And so, Lorelai, would you all start with you? Here you go, sweetie. Start passing it behind you as well. I don't want us to miss out on the opportunity of seeing the contrast. And s- sure, that'd be great. And seeing the difference that is made by this light. Because our Lord decided to come into a very dark place. And not only did he live the perfect life, he saved those of us who would trust him. As we sing this song, as you see the candle light, would you think about our God who clothed himself in humanity and lived among us and did for us what we could not do for ourselves?